This episode is brought to you by online on-demand courses, your chance to study in depth at your own pace. Each course consists of enriched on-demand video lessons, bonus sessions with expert guest speakers, live Q&A sessions with Al-Maghrib's instructors, and an exclusive student portal, all available with lifetime access so you can brush up on every subject again and again and again. With over 300 hours of studio quality courses produced and plenty more to come, inshallah, Al-Maghrib Online gives you knowledge that you can carry over a lifetime. Welcome to an exclusive recording of the Shepherd's Path, the Seerah of the Prophet وسلم, taught by Shaykh Muhammad al-Sharif rahimahullah in July of 2008. There's a dua of the Prophet in a ta'if. This is the dua the Prophet mentioned or said after that situation in a ta'if. So the Prophet said, Allahumma ilayka ashku da'fa quwwati wa qillata haylati wa hawani ala nas O oh Allah, to you alone I make complaint of my helplessness, uh, the paucity of my resources and not my insignificance before mankind. The reason I, I really love to bring this dua up is that a lot of times in a person's da'wah, once you start doing da'wah, you're going, as we said, you're going to get abuse from the community. And one of the most painful abuse that you get from the community is them speaking badly to you, criticizing you and using very harsh words. And so this is what happened to the Prophet And what I love about this dua is a way for you to resolve or a, a, a way for you to face that criticism that's coming to you. And so here it is. It's in the third paragraph here. Ya arhamur rahimin, anta rabbul mustadha'afin wa anta rabbi. That, oh, uh, you are the most merciful of the merciful. You are the Lord of the helpless and the weak, O Lord of mine. And then the Prophet said, إِلَىٰ مَنْ تَكِلُنِي إِلَىٰ بَعِيدٍ يَتَجَهَّمُنِي أَمْ إِلَىٰ عَدُوٌ مَلَّكْتَهُ أَمْرِي إِنْ لَمْ يَكُمْ بِكَ غَضَبٌ عَلَيَّ فَلَنْ أُبَالِي So the Prophet said, Into whose hands would you abandon me? Into the hands of an unsympathetic, distant relative who would sullenly frown at me or to the enemy who has, given, who has been given control over my affairs. Okay, so this is the situation. The Prophet is saying that either it's a relative that is going to have no mercy to me, or it's going to be someone who's not a relative, but is in, who is in charge of my affairs. Meaning that the criticism, the frowns, and people treating him badly, that's all going to be what he's going to be facing. So the Prophet said, إِلَّمْ يَكُمْ بِكَ غَضَبٌ عَلَيَّ فَلَنْ أُبَالِي so long as you're not angry at me, then I have nothing to worry about. So this is the key point. When people are criticizing you and so on, your real issue is, is Allah angry at you or not? And if He's not angry at you, you haven't done anything wrong in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then if people get angry at you, it doesn't matter. See what I'm saying? There was this little girl and she went to school. This is in a Muslim country. In a Muslim country, sometimes they forbid the girls from wearing hijab, even though they're a Muslim country. So this little girl, she went to school and she's wearing hijab. The teacher told her, don't come to school wearing hijab. So there's a little girl and she's like, you know, she went home. Teacher said, take off your hijab. Don't come to school uh, tomorrow with hijab. She came back the next day with hijab on. And then the teacher, like, she went berserk. <laughs> She went, as you'd say, she went ballistic. <laughs> she got so angry at you. How dare you disobey me? I told you don't come. I commanded you not to wear your hijab and you came. And then the girl in response, the little girl, she burst out crying. And she said, 
I don't know who to obey, you or him. And the teacher, she's so angry, she says, who's him? And she said, Allah. And then the girl decided, she said, you know what? I've decided to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to disobey him. And then that, the teacher, she started getting goosebumps and you know, she kept quiet. And this, and, and the teacher started wearing hijab after that as well. <laughs> and so parent-teacher interviews come up. And so notice in this situation, the little girl was being criticized by the teacher. She's, the teacher that she wants to please so much is frowning at her. Teacher that she wants to please so much, and she's trying to get the love of the teacher, is speaking badly to her. So the normal human being will want to get that love of people so they will do whatever they're told to do. But this girl refused that because she decided instead to seek the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And because of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the situation better for her. The parent-teacher interviews happen and the teacher's talking with the mother of that little girl. And she's saying to her, you know, the situation, you know, I told your daughter to not come to school with hijab. And the, and the mother says, like, I know, she came home that day and she said, you know, the teacher said that I'm not allowed to wear hijab when I come to school. The mother then said to her, who are you going to obey? Allah or your teacher. And then the girl had decided at home that she was going to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then at school, she then faced this situation and she concluded that Allah is the one to be obeyed and not human beings. So now, what you learn from the, the Sunnah of the Prophet in such a hard situation, as everything, you know, people are you know, boycotting you or treating you badly and so on and so forth, at the end of the day, you're saying, so long as, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not angry at me, then there's no worry. And you think to yourself, you know, I, I get these questions that like people, they want to choose different careers in their life, right? Like, should I be an accountant, should I buy IT, or should I go to Medina University and study in Medina and leave my education? How many people have, like, dilemmas like that? <laughs> okay. They're, like, always said, let me tell you an occupation that you can never go wrong with. Are you ready for this one? Occupation. As a worshiper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you worship Allah azawajal, and you are a doctor or an accountant or an IT professional or whatever you are, you worshipped Allah during your life and eventually you entered Jannah. Who cares then what career you took? It made no difference because you worshipped Allah in your life and eventually you went to paradise. You will never grieve and you'll never be sad. For the, you can never go wrong. Now, if on the opposite side, no matter what career choice you choose, if you do not worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your life, your career choice was wrong. No matter what it is. If you ultimately end up going to hellfire, who cares what you worked at during your life? So ultimate success is paradise and ultimate failure is hellfire. Nothing else matters at that point. And everything else is just relative, whether you're a doctor, you're an engineer, you're an IT professional, or you do this, or you own a business, or whatnot, it actually doesn't matter. What matters is, did you live your life sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's what matters, and that's where the ultimate success is. So in every situation, you're always asking, so long as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not angry at me, then there's no worry. There's no worry. If he is angry at you and, and you've done something wrong, there's a sin, then a person would need to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not because of the people, but because a person has to clarify their situation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On the way back from Al-Ta'if, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
This is the, the Surat al-Jinn. On the way back from Al-Ta'if, there were these group of jinn that surrounded the Prophet They heard him reciting Quran and they went back to their people and they became Muslim. A lesson that you learn there, you know, you, you might go out giving da'wah to one group of people and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses that other people would be the ones who would accept the da'wah. I noticed this in, um, in Saudi Arabia, they opened up all these da'wah centers for the white Americans. <laughs> you know, oh, when these business people come, they're going to come to the da'wah centers and they're going to become Muslim. And that didn't happen. But who do you think went to the da'wah centers and started entering into Islam? Like, every time they go to Saudi, they become Muslim. What nationality of people? Yes. What's that? No, not Russians. <laughs> like, where'd you get Russians from? <laughs> yes. Filipinos. Like, so you're thinking, oh, America, America. All of a sudden, all these Filipino Muslims start coming in. And, you know, the Filipinos, they work as drivers there. They work, you know, they're... Uh, labor in, in Saudi Arabia and then now if you go to these da'wah centers they're full of Filipino Muslims and so a person initially they might intend you know what I'm going to be doing da'wah to these people and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses someone else to come and take on that message of Islam and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there's a brother who wanted to recite these verses in Surah Al-Baqarah we were like reciting the verses so here's your opportunity I told them this is Surah Jinn they don't know Surah Jinn but some of you hopefully know it so if everybody can stand up we're going to recite it together, inshallah ta'ala. And it's there in your book. If you don't know how to recite it, then you need help, inshallah ta'ala. <laughs> قل أوحي إلي أنه استمع نفر من الجن فقالوا إنا سمعنا فقالوا إنا سمعنا قرآنا عجبا يهدي إلى الرشد فآمنا به وَلَن نُشْرِكَ بِرَبِّنَا أَحَدًا وَأَنَّهُ تَعَالَى جَدُّ رَبِّنَا مَتَّخَذَ صَاحِبَةً وَلَا وَلَدًا وَأَنَّهُ كَانَ يَقُولُ سَفِيهُنَا عَلَى اللَّهِ شَطَطًا وَأَنَّا ظَنَنَّا أَن لَّن تَقُولَ الْإِنسُ وَالْجِنُّ عَلَى اللَّهِ كَذِبًا And so in these verses Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the Prophet قُلْ أُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ Say that it's been revealed to me that a company of jinn listened to the Qur'an and they said that إِنَّا سَمِعْنَا قُرْآنًا عَجَبًا We've heard a wonderful recitation يَهْدِي إِلَى الرُّشْدِ فَآمَنَّا بِهِ That it gives guidance to the right way فَآمَنَّا بِهِ And so we've believed in him. We've believed in that recitation. وَلَنْ نُشْرِكَ بِرَبِّنَا أَحَدًا So that was the jinn. Isra and Mi'raj. Isra and Mi'raj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi laylan minal masjidil haram. 
ليلاً من المسجد الحرام إلى المسجد الأقصى الذي باركنا حوله لنريه من آياتنا إنه هو السميع البصير. If you notice in that picture there, which of the two pictures is Masjid Al-Aqsa? Which of the two pictures is Masjid Al-Aqsa? This is for a point. Yes, the sister in the back. Sorry? Say it again, the sister in the back, yeah. The one on the bottom. From the brothers, which of the pictures is Masjid Al-Aqsa? Yes, brother, go ahead. White Kufi. The one on the bottom. Just like, just like the sister said, right? Back to the sisters. Which one is Masjid Al-Aqsa? Yes, sister, go ahead. Neither of them. Back to the brothers. <laughs> Back to the brothers. All right, yes, brother, in the corner. So the top one or the bottom one? Okay, he got it right, he got it right. Finally, we have clarity on the issue. We need a prize for the brother. <laughs> Let's see what we've got. You get a point, of course, but you get a prize, too. And he can share with his friends. Mouth-watering fake fruit. <laughs> Pass it to the brother. Okay, what the brother said, this is a typical debate that people have. Which one is Masjid Al-Aqsa? So the top one is the Dome of the Rock. And the bottom one is the actual Masjid. But, like the brother said, they're both considered Masjid Al-Aqsa because of the sanctuary area, right? So to give you this example, the Kaaba, if you walk into the Kaaba, this is the Kaaba, right? And you walk in with your shoes and you're walking around and someone tells you, don't bring your shoes into the Kaaba. And you're like, that's the Kaaba, <laughs> right? But the whole area is considered like the Kaaba, it's the, the, the whole area is the sanctuary. So what you're looking at is Masjid Al-Aqsa and the Dome of the Rock is inside a compound. That compound area is Masjid Al-Aqsa. So it's basically like saying, if this was the compound area, when we actually pray, we might only take up a little corner here. But the whole area is, you know, is inside the compound. It's all considered Masjid Al-Aqsa. So if you get like a, um, an aerial view of the compound, you, they'll have something pointed. They'll say, this is where um, the masjid is. This is where the Dome of the Rock is. And there are some other things inside the compound area. There's some musalla areas inside the compound and so on. So it's all considered Masjid Al-Aqsa. But the actual masjid with, where they pray is the bottom one, is the bottom picture. The Dome of the Rock, as you can see, the rock, Isra al-Mi'raj, where the Prophet ascended to the heavens, the rock from which, you know, like uh, the launching pad, you could say, that's, that dome is covering that rock. So if you entered into the dome, there's actually not too much space to pray in the Dome of the Rock. This is a little circle area around the rock, but it's just the rock there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse, Subhanallah asra bi abdihi layla min al masjid al haram ila al masjid al aqsa. That uh, pure is that being who transported his slave, the Messenger of Allah, by night from Masjid al haram in Mecca to Masjid al aqsa in Jerusalem. Alladhi barakna hawlahu, and it was purified, and the vicinity of which is blessed. Isra and mi'raj. Isra, you can imagine an arrow going this way. Isra means to travel in the night. 
Isra means to travel in the night. So that comes in the verse, Subhanallah Asra. So that's like Isra, to travel in the night. Mi'raj is to ascend, it's to go upwards. So this is Isra. Mi'raj is to ascend, it's to go upwards. Isra is to travel at night, and Mi'raj is to travel upwards and ascend upwards. So what happened? that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took his slave sallallahu alayhi wasallam from the Kaaba in one night took him from the Kaaba to Masjid al-Aqsa which was traveling by night that's Isra and then at Masjid al-Aqsa Allah subhanahu wa Jibreel alayhi salam took the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they ascended into the heavens and they ascended upwards into the heavens which was the Mi'raj the actual date that the Isra and Mi'raj took place is disputed so they, don't, they don't know exactly what day or what year um, the Isra and Mi'raj took place. But it took place during these Meccan years, of course. There's a lot of narrations about the Isra and Mi'raj, and a lot of it isn't authentic. There's the little par- portions of it are authentic, and so what I'm going to mention to you are from like the authentic portions of it. During this night, when Jibreel came to the Prophet his heart was cleansed and washed in Zamzam, similar to when he was younger, right? We said that when he was younger, he was washed in Zamzam. Here again, he was washed in Zamzam. The Prophet ﷺ rode on an animal that had wings. The animal is called Al-Buraq. Al-Buraq was the name of this animal with wings. So through the night, this animal carried the Prophet ﷺ, Al-Buraq, carried the Prophet ﷺ from, from Mecca to Al-Aqsa. At Masjid al-Aqsa, Allah gathered the Prophets and the Prophet led them in prayer at Masjid al-Aqsa. So from the bottom picture, that's where the prayer took place. The bottom picture that you see there, that's where the prayer took place. After that, the Prophet after praying the prayer there, he then went to the rock, which is the Dome of the Rock, that's the top picture. And it's about, I would say it's about 100 meters from the Masjid, right? It's about 100 meters from the Masjid. On the rock, that's where the Prophet ﷺ ascended with Jibreel through the seven heavens. At each of the stages of the, in the heavens, he met with different prophets. He met with different prophets at different levels. Until after the seven heavens comes Sidratul Muntaha. Sidratul Muntaha is known as, or translated as, the remotest low tree. And there is Al Bayt Al Ma'mur. Al Bayt Al Ma'mur is like uh, Kaaba in the heavens. This is where the angels do tawaf and they worship Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Prophet said, "In Al Bayt Al Ma'mur, every day seventy thousand angels enter it, and they never come back. Every day seventy thousand angels are worshiping Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala there. The Muslims are worshiping Allah Azza Wa Jal at the Kaaba." And the angels in the heavens are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at Al-Bayt Al-Ma'mur. At Sidrat Al-Muntaha, this is where Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa met with, he went with Musa alayhi and then after that, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi spoke with Allah azza wa And it was there at that highest level that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the salah fard. This is where the obligation of salah became law in Islam. So at first the law came at 50 salah that a Muslim would have to pray 50 times a day. And so when the Prophet ﷺ left like there and he went and, and passed Musa ﷺ, Musa ﷺ said, go back to your Lord and ask him for it to be lightened because your ummah won't be able to do that. 
And the Prophet ﷺ turned back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and asked for it, like takhfif, for it to be lightened. And it was lightened and lightened. And Musa ﷺ said, ask for more, for it to be lightened more. Your ummah won't be able to handle it. And so actually, subhanAllah, you'll see the mercy of Musa ﷺ for our ummah, for the ummah, for all of you. Until it was lightened all the way till five prayers a day. And then Musa ﷺ said, go and ask your Lord for it to be lightened because your ummah won't be able to do it. And the Prophet said that I'm shy to ask for more, for it to be more lightened. So it became five, and in the Hadith Qudsi that it's five, and in the, um, in the record with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it counts as 50. It counts as 50. So you'll still get the reward of 50 prayers a day by praying only five prayers a day. And that's something that we know in Islam. If you do a good deed, you get the reward of how much? 10. <laughs> Someone said 27. That's if you pray in jama'ah, <laughs> right? It's 27 times. Uh, there, there actually, it, it reminds me, in, um, to pray at the Kaaba is worth 100,000 prayers. To pray at the Prophet's masjid is 1,000. There's different opinion about Masjid al-Aqsa, but it's about like 500 prayers. And then one of our students told the teacher, he's like, you know how many times you know, the prayer is worth in Nigeria? <laughs> The teacher said, no, how much? He said, 27 times. <laughs> if you pray in jama'ah. Alhamdulillah. 27 times. And so when a person does a, makes the intention for a good deed, you get the reward as if you've done the good deed. When you actually do the good deed, you get 10 times the reward. And so you're praying five prayers a day. Five times 10, that's 50. It's as if you've prayed 50 prayers in a day. And the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indeed great. The, it's actually interesting when you look at it and you ca use the calculations, a person who goes to hellfire technically would need to be more than 10 times bad than they are good. Because every time they do a good deed, it's times 10. And when they do a bad deed, it's only times 1. So they're actually 10 times worse than they are good. Do you guys understand what I just said? Okay, jazakallah khair. <laughs> In the Isra and Mi'raj, the Prophet also saw paradise and hellfire. He saw people being rewarded, people being punished, and what was prepared for the believers. When the Prophet ﷺ came back to Mecca, the next day there was like one of the mushrikeen, he saw the Prophet ﷺ, you know, something looked different. And he's like, what's wrong? <laughs> and the Prophet ﷺ told him, and the Prophet ﷺ, he's not going to hide this fact. If you'll notice up until now in the seerah, like this is a miracle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the Prophet ﷺ. Remember I said earlier in the introduction, I said that the seerah follows natural laws. So even up until this point, there wasn't something that even a non-Muslim walking off the street would say that, oh, you know what, oh, that couldn't have possibly happened, and so on and so forth. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like Prophet ﷺ, a messenger of God, receives revelation, and he's teaching the people, they harm him, and you know, his children have passed away, and his wife died, and, and you know, strategizing. But here, this is a miracle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so at this point, when the Prophet ﷺ told him that he went to Masjid al-Aqsa last night and came back, this man didn't even respond. He immediately started saying like, you know, we have proof now that Muhammad is crazy. And they went around and they started telling everybody, hey, you know, Muhammad is saying that he went to Masjid al-Aqsa last night and came back, ha, 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 ha. And they went around telling this. And so the rumor spread so fast, even the Prophet ﷺ didn't even tell like the companions. And to give you an example of this, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu got information of the Isra and Mi'raj from the mushrikeen. 
they spread it faster than the Prophet Sallallahu even told his own best friend Abu Bakr anhu. So this is the statement. They went to Abu Bakr anhu and they said to him that your friend is claiming that he went to Masjid Al-Aqsa last night and came back. Do you believe him? So Abu Bakr anhu made a statement and I remember one Shaykh saying, if only the statement that Abu Bakr anhu made would be a motto for the Ummah to follow. That everybody would take this statement, put it up on their wall, and then that's it. Abu Bakr anhu said in response, he said, in qalaha faqad sadaq. He said, if he said it, then he told the truth. And the Prophet said, he hadn't even told Abu Bakr that he had done this. So Abu Bakr anhu didn't, you know, he didn't even know this from the Prophet but he said that if he said it, then he's told the truth. And later the Prophet found out how Abu Bakr had reacted and he said, وَأَنْتَ And that's how Abu Bakr got his, when you say Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. As-Siddiq is the one who was always following the truth. And he was forever known with that, um, with that laqab or with that, like, um, that name. I said this in one of the uh, one of the other classes. I mentioned it here. There's a there's a Quran school in Medina, and every time I pass by the Quran school, if I'm ever with someone, I'm like remembering the speeches I talk about the school. I'm like, here's the school right here. The name of the school is Madra. It's a it's a girls Quran school, and the name of the school is called Madrasatu Siddiqa bint Siddiq, the school of the Siddiqa Aisha radhiyallahu anha, the daughter of a Siddiq Abu Bakr radhiyallahu taala anha. Every time I see that name, it's, it's so sweet and so beautiful that forever they will be known as a Siddiq, a Siddiq for following the truth. The one who consistently follows the truth. And so this was indeed a test for the believers, right? There's revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but now this is a test for the believers. Are they going to follow the Prophet and the ridicule that they're getting and people are saying, oh, he's crazy and now we've proven, you know, he's crazy. And even the Prophet they would then challenge and they're like, well, if you went to Masjid al-Aqsa, how many doors does Masjid al-Aqsa have? How many windows does Masjid al-Aqsa have? How many this, this and that? And the Prophet answered all their questions. Answered all their questions. And even in the Isra, in the travel at night, he saw things on the journeys like there's a person at such and such a distance and he will come and so and so. And he explained all of this to them and they knew him to be telling the truth. Again, anybody who studies the seerah, even if they're trying to attack the seerah, they can never say that the Prophet lied. Like even his own enemies testified that he would only tell the truth. Even you'll see in, in Bukhari when the king, the Roman king, the Byzantine king, he's saying, was he ever known to lie before he came with his message? And Abu Sufyan was a Muslim, he's like, no, he never lied. He never lied to human beings and he said, it's not possible that he's not going to lie to human beings and then he's going to lie against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's not possible. This Isra and Mi'raj as well, you see in, in the verse, لِنُرِيَهُ min ayatina." that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would show the Prophet of his signs. You know, and keeping the Prophet firm in the message and all, of, you know, all the struggles that he's been through وسلم, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here in the Isra and Mi'raj and with other Prophets there are moments where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like for Musa salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him you'd have the other Prophets, the miracles that were sent to the Prophets Right, so the plan 
section on the plan. So now here the, the strategy, what was happening in Mecca is that yes, there were few people becoming Muslim. Usually it was like the poor indigenous people were becoming the slaves in, in, um, in Mecca were becoming Muslim. And there were from some of the aristocrats becoming Muslim, such as Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu becoming Muslim. There are other, Hamza radiallahu anhu became Muslim. But in general, the Meccan people were not accepting Islam. So the plan, you'll see that the Prophet gave permission for the Muslims to move away to Habasha. Surah Al-Kahf, Surah Al-Kahf, which is the Surah of the Cave, was revealed in Mecca. It was revealed in Mecca. In there, in, in Surah Al-Kahf, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذِ اعْتَزَلْتُمُوهُمْ وَمَا يَعْبُدُونَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فَأُوُوا إِلَى الْكَهْفِ يَنْشُرْ لَكُمْ رَبُّكُمْ مِنْ رَحْمَتِهِ وَيُهَيِّئْ لَكُمْ وَيُهَيِّئْ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَمْرِكُمْ مِرْفَقًا In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذِ اعْتَزَلْتُمُوهُمْ And when you withdrew from them, and that which they were worshipping except Allah, then seek refuge in the cave. So the cave, for those who were being tortured and weren't able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the cave was Abyssinia, was Habasha. One of the, the wet nurses of the Prophet was Umm Ayman. Umm Ayman was from Habasha. She was Al-Habashiyya. And so the Prophet gave permission for the Muslims to go. Now, in the strategy, someone will say, well, if something difficult is happening to the Muslims, why didn't they fight back? And the commentators about the seerah, when they're studying that in the seerah, you look at different reasons why fighting back is not the correct option. Number one, that some of those people that would be killed if they fought back in Mecca at such an early stage, they would later become Muslim. Such as Umar radiallahu anhu. Imagine if they fought and Umar radiallahu anhu was killed. Umar was one of the people that used to torture the Muslims before and then he later became Muslim. Secondly, fighting would divide families. If they started fighting, families would be divided, parents fighting with their children, children, you know, brothers fighting with brothers, and so on, and families would be divided, and imagine what kind of history would have been said about the Muslims in Mecca, that they would divide between families. There was a lot of death, there would be a lot of deaths. So if the Muslims were fighting, many Muslims would be killed, many of the, um, the mushrikeen would be killed, but at the end of it, there would be no benefit. There's just a lot of people dying and there's no benefit. Islam isn't established. Islam hasn't spread anywhere. There would just be fighting and just deaths and, and nothing coming to you in the end. Also, when a person fights, imagine that you have like two children in a school, right? Two children in a school and one child um, hits the other child. Child A hits child B. They both come to you as the teacher. How many people have had that situation happen to them before? Okay. So child A hits child B. Child B has not fought back. Instead, they chose to go to higher authority. They went to the teacher. They're saying, teacher, teacher, child A has hit, it and has hit me. So now why, you're like, child A, why did you do that? And he's like, you know, I'm not talking. And then while you're trying to discuss with child A, child B pounds child A in the face. Okay, now where is your sympathy now? Where is your sympathy now? It's to both of them are like detention for both of them, correct? Like your sympathy is to none of them. You're like they're both, you've, they've uh, become equivalent because they both chose violence 
as a way of you know expressing themselves and so on and so forth. They're both in timeout till they both calm down and so on and so forth. The Muslims did not fight back. So to all the other Arab tribes, they were the bee child. They were the ones who weren't fighting back, and so they got the sympathies of all the surrounding tribes. And so in these critical stages, not fighting back was a gem that they didn't fight back, and they got the sympathies of all the Arab tribes that later on they would be giving da'wah to those people. You'll also see in these preparation stages, the, the strategy, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Muzammal, Ya ayyuhal muzammal, qum al-layla illa qalila. Ya ayyuhal muzammal, the one wrapped up, qum al-layl, stand up in prayer illa qalila. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding the Prophet to stand up in qiyamul layl. So the Prophet his training during these hard years was qiyamul layl. And from the companions as well. They would pray Qiyamul Layl, preparing themselves, waking themselves up in the, in, you know, in the nights for this huge message that they have. To take this message of Islam to all of humanity till the Day of Judgment. This is the message that they had. We just have a few moments, but um, inshallah ta'ala when we come back after the lunch break, inshallah ta'ala will explain what happened in Habasha, inshallah ta'ala.